Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Today we are talking January 6th because it is January 6th at the moment we're recording this. You know, as usual, somewhat behind the times. You know, normally you'd record this beforehand and release it on January 6th. But, you know, we are just... It's not how we roll, No, Ryan. It's not how we no. do. Nope. Um, we're on Greek time, baby. Greek time. Absolutely. And... Um, But before we get started on January 6th, I just want to read a little bit of... uh, I want to start on a positive note, frankly. There's been too much darkness and negativity. um, Not enough things to celebrate. Uh, Bring us the light, baby. Bring us the light. uh, So, bit of news just reported today. Uh, Oregon Secretary of State says that former New York Times columnist Nick Kristoff is ineligible to run for governor because he does not meet the residency requirements. (laughs) <laughs> this uh, motherfucker quit his job is, at the New York Times. He is going to run for governor. And his buddy, uh, Wynn McCormack, uh, totally upended his entire magazine, The New Republic, and published this incredibly embarrassing fucking lick spittle piece about Kristoff. And there, you know, he was clearly intending to like use his magazine, The New Republic, to like flog. This incredibly fucking long shot idea, like a columnist is going to run for governor in a place where he has no connection to the political establishment, you know, and there is a Democratic Party there that's pretty fucking, you know, like thriving and whatnot. I mean, Oregon's pretty liberal state. And Harry didn't even get his ducks in a row legally to be eligible to run. He's, you know what? He's used to other people doing the fact checking and such. He, he didn't do his due diligence. He's not. Uh, he's, he's usually he has his servants. Yeah. Do the due diligence. Incredible. Well, I, the, you know, I, at least it would have been good if Tom Friedman had been, uh, you know, running for office because at least he probably talked to a cab driver from Oregon once. I would yeah. think. I don't know. Yeah. But Kristoff uh, will have to. Uh, I don't know. What's he going to do now? Do you think? I don't know. He'll probably just get his job back, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. You can't get rid of these guys, you know. I mean, he's like sixty or something, and he's probably going to be around for another thirty years. Um, if you're only the good die young, Coops. Yep. Only the good die young. The yeah. rich live forever, but you know, it's funny to see a little pratfall there. Um, so January sixth. Uh, I just want to, I mean, it's, it's a good segue though, because we have plenty of idiots and, uh, people that one should not take seriously to, to connect us from Kristoff to the January 6th event last year. Um, despite the take that I think we have, which is that it's indicative of something that we should take far more seriously than some on the left do. Yeah. Um, but, 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 you know. Nevertheless, there are still the the very silly people that were involved. So, so I, I think this the Christoph segue works. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you can't understand anything about American politics without realizing that roughly three quarters of the people involved with with it at any level are fucking lunatics or cranks or or just buffoonish imbeciles who, nevertheless have enormous influence the thing. in the yes. world because America is so big and powerful. You know, I mean, that's kind of the problem with this country. All like we're running this vast empire and blundering all over the place. And let's like yeah. trodden, like, like other countries are just like ground under our tank treads uh, by sure. these total uh, loony bin, uh, you know, bargain basement, crazy people and uh, uh, charlatans. 
you know, remember when Trump just assassinated one of the most popular people in Iran out of nowhere, just like sort of on a whim, you know, that kicked off January last he, year. That that uh, that was that was the beginning of, of 2021, I believe. Or was tw- it 2020? 2020. Two, two years he, ago. Two, two years. Yeah, Biden's 2021. My God, time <laughs> time is a flat circle. Yeah, that was the, the kickoff to 2020. Um, these last two years have been ridiculous. Um, but no, the politicians today are like, you know, if there was a Marvel film or something, instead of Ant-Man, it's like you could, you could make like a big toddler uh, the size of King Kong and it's a toddler stampeding, uh, you know, all over the city. It is quite silly and ridiculous and 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 uh, and, and nonsensical, but it is very dangerous. So these are yeah. the elites that we have to deal with. Um, and let me, before so, we get into the, like the specifics of this, just as a, a um, uh, and uh, how the the putsch as I'll call it, you know, is what I, what I called it from the start, what I'm going to keep calling it. Um, Can you help people spell that? Right? Uh, Can you spell the putsch? Uh, uh, P-U-T-S-C-H, right? Yep. That'd be I, I was guessing there, but w- the influence of that politically is already starting to be felt in the most concrete uh, fashion you could imagine, namely that the putschists are running for office. One of them of uh, is the, uh, in the Maryland gubernatorial race on the Democratic side, you have Tom Perez, who apparently is like that, like the more progressive candidate, uh, and Wes Moore, who is a kind of a apparently basically a fraud. Um, on the Republican side, you have someone who's a handpicked, a lady, I forget her name, who is a handpicked successor of Larry Hogan, who's the current governor, one of those blue state Republicans who the liberals love because he can successfully pretend not to be insane for about five minutes. Um, and so he has like an 87% approval rating or something like that among the Democrats of Maryland. Uh, and so he's got a handpicked successor, but she is just hiding under the bed in the primary. And there's another guy, I believe his name is Dave Cox, who is in, um, at January 6th, uh, in fact, organized buses to bring people to January 6th um, to storm the Capitol. And tweeted that Mike Pence is guilty of treason as people were like busting into the building. And this guy's endorsed by Trump. And there's a pretty solid chance that he's going to win the Republican primary in Maryland. That means that he probably won't win the general election in a state as blue as Maryland. But still, I mean, this this shows you the influence. These people are trickling yeah. through. This is like they're they're going to be like the veterans and fucking CIA people on the Democratic side. You know, all the right. troops that right. they love to run in purple states and purple districts. Um, it'll be the 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 January sixth veterans. Yeah, we'll we'll have only spooks and QAnon people in office. That'll yeah, be the, that, the great the beautiful, that Maryland fellow I mean, is also a QAnon guy too. Of, of course, I didn't even know, but of course. So, you know, as Marx wrote, first as tragedy, then as farce, and then as electoral office for <laughs> QAnon people. That's how it goes. That's the, that's the, pers- you know, it's the dialectic. Yeah. Um, oh my God. This is, this is, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow, folks, but this is reality. We have to deal with it. Um, at least for, for this podcast for the moment. Yeah. Um, you can, you can, you know, zone out on Netflix later. But for now, got to deal with this craziness. Um, and that's what I guess just yeah. as an initial comment, I, you know, like to just give my sort of general take on how it went, what it was about, uh, how seriously should we take it? I was completely horrified the day of and everything that's been reported since that 
has only convinced me more strongly that it was even worse than it looked at the time. Um, People were, uh, uh, members of Congress, rather, were uh, moments like feet, dozens of feet away from being, you know, falling into the hands of a lynch mob. Uh, Vice President Pence, you know, they they put up a gallows on the steps of the Capitol building um, and they, you know, they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. I think if they had gotten their hands on him, they would have tried to hang him. I think that, you know, if if one of their sort of hate fetish objects, people had fallen into the hands of the mob like AOC, yeah. like Nancy Pelosi, they were specifically looking for Pelosi. Um, any members of the squad, any you know, uh, black members of Congress, period. I think it would not have turned out well. I think people would have been killed and that was only narrowly avoided. Um, And, uh, you know, it was very buffoonish and stupid and the people involved in it were all deluded or idiots or both. But the theory was not completely ridiculous, you know? Like, if Pence had played along and they actually had managed to like take some hostages, very possibly could have had. Um, yeah. Can you remind people the context? Like why was the timing important and, and what was the strategic goal theoretically? Right. So they're trying to basically, uh, I mean, disrupt the electoral count, you know, sort of do a demonstration, obviously um, uh, stop the certification of Biden as president and then John Eastman, who is a lawyer for Trump and had, you know, is a Federalist Society member, Republican in good standing, rich guy, went all the good schools. He cooked up this this preposterous theory. I mean, basically, you know, it's turning, uh, uh, standing on his head and crossing his eyes and saying, like, if you read it like this, the vice president can just throw the results out. I believe the theory was you say that there's disputes in the election, like the states where in the certification, you right? say there's disputes in the states where Trump has created disputes over the election yeah. results. And then you say, well, Trump won the majority of all the other uh, electoral votes. So we just throw out all the disputed ones. Trump's president again, bing, bang, boosh, hit the fucking gavel and uh, Trump's president again. I mean, this, that's the auto golpe shit. Like you just create some kind of pretext to declare yourself president trampling over rules and precedent and common sense and everything else. And, um, yeah, but, and we'll get to the Corey Robin piece, but explain how this action, the strategy actually uses the, the actual process of certification and uses the law as it's in way, you know, it's inroad to being, you know, anti-democratic. Why does Pence matter? Why does the VP matter in this? Yeah. I forget the language exactly, but there's, there's language in the electoral count act, which was passed in like 1887, I think, um, suggesting that the vice president may possibly have this authority. I mean, it's just classic America, you know, where it's like, like 130 years ago, we passed this law that's just a vague pile of shit and makes no sense and is contra- uh, contradicts itself in multiple ways. But like, we've just sort of been going since that time with the kind of logical, you know, like, Everything so much in this country depends on yeah, people like, behaving well <laughs> or 
Sure, exactly. No, of course. Like the the idea that the VP certifies, you know, nobody pays attention to that because it's never been an issue because we just assume that all these pro forma things are pro, just that. Yes, pro forma is the word. All this shit didn't matter because it, uh, everyone took for granted that the, the it's the electoral college that that governs things. So you have the rules as set up by the states. You count the votes. And then you have the electoral college. And beyond that, you know, when the electors come in, everything beyond that is just a total rubber stamp. Not no, Nobody ever thought about. And so now you have like people taking dead letter rules that were never that were never anything meant to like actually be some sort of legal statement about like who gets to be president and sort of twisting them out of context and pres- uh, uh, precedent to say, like here's a wedge yeah. where we can make yeah. some claims and uh, set, you know, like give ourselves permission to do base a, a, seize power a by pretext. force. Yeah, yeah, a pretext for a pure power play. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it, 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 there's a lever into this shit because the Electoral Count Act is a fucking mess that nobody ever bothered to fix because nobody fixes anything in this country. You know, you just sort of let the shit fester until like the, the, uh, you know, the, the problems are undeniable. And then you also fail to fix it after that. But I mean, we can get into But By, by the way, th- this is a microcosm of a lot of the problems with our country because I mean, there's a reason that lawyers and accountants are not just how the mob gets away with shit, but also how <laughs> Amazon and rich motherfuckers get away with shit, right? Like, yep. like you know, the state, law, uh, finance, the, the, these things that have uh, become the realm of expertise and norms and standards and rules and minutia, uh, that makes them all the more – sites of um of power and abuse and corruption through those channels that would legalize and normalize and abdicate and exonerate and permit those actors that are wealthy and powerful to get away with this shit so it's no different you know in, in the economic sphere than in the political sphere and, and that doesn't mean it's not dangerous it just means that there's an, an interesting relationship that we have to take note of between the very laws and norms that are are sometimes silly, but sometimes they're meant to protect us. Sometimes they're meant to do justice. All of these, these things are sites of struggle that politically we have to attend to lest they be taken advantage of for the furtherance of fascism uh, or oligarchy or oppression and so forth. So this is just one emblematic instance of that, right? Yeah. Because because it's not just what happened on January 6th, although it is that too. It's also how uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Josh Hawley, and uh, others used that kind of faux populist insurrectionary uh, violence and energy to, you know, be part of their own political uh, ascendance and power plays and so forth. So so there's a dynamic we're trying to attend to in all of this. January 6th is, is supposed to be for us, I think, a case study that helps us understand this broader dynamic of the way that, uh, you know, um, useful idiots and, and, and people en masse uh, interact with the elites in power. 
so that we could try to to take note of of that interaction and combat it, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and um yeah, I want to move on to the Corey Robin piece uh in just a minute, but I but I first I just want to say real quickly that like the, as you mentioned before, there's a contingent on the left that is totally scornful about um you know yeah. January 6th and like the just like that they were of of the Mueller report in Russia I mean we can talk about the possible connection right. between those yeah. those things but I mean I would say it's it's much more justifiable to be scornful about the Russia stuff than it is about uh uh the you know fucking mob storming the capitol building um but yeah. but just that like the, there's a sort of aesthetic critique here and and a kind of just like contemptuous scoffing that like because Right. A bunch Buffoons of are involved, yeah. yeah like because of, today we saw uh, in the anniversary celebrations, like Nancy Pelosi had uh, Lin Manuel Miranda and the cast of Hamilton singing some song, and I mean it's just the most cringy, pathetic, <laughs> live fucking liberals, man. What the hell? I mean, I couldn't imagine their, their brains are broken. They're they're totally broken. I, it's like it's like not only putting a kick me sign on your back it's like tattooing a kick me sign onto your forehead i mean ju- just limp pathetic stuff but but like what the the reaction of those people it do- doesn't matter as to whether or not january 6th right. was a serious thing that that happened and you know just because a bunch of like national security state people and and just absolutely pathetic losers um are worried about this um, and even, you know, genuine fucking ghouls like Liz Cheney, uh, who are fucking deeply implicated in the Republican Party becoming so extremist in the first place, what they say, it, it, if they say something, it doesn't mean that the opposite of that is automatically true by <laughs> definition. That's not how fucking like reality works. Guys, learn to chew and walk at the same time. People. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, like, like uh, uh, if you think that of uh, uh you know, fascist like right wing extremist mob like storming the sort of seat of American democracy is not a very serious event. Uh, you've you you got to you got to bail out. You know, start thinking more seriously. Honestly, what the fuck's wrong with you? Seriously, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm not even. I mean, I mean, you have Twitter brain at that point or something, right? Like, like whatever the reason, you know, it it's I, I don't. It's not a because, uh, because yeah. So here's the thing, right? Like, and again, we'll get to the Corey Corey Robin piece in a second, but um, there is so so. I guess a, a good preface to this is on the left, and we've talked about this before. That there is a kind of there's two different ways to think about um, events or propositions or, um, you know, objects of analysis. One could be the truth value, right? Uh, one could be like, well, is this valid? Is this true? Is this, is, you know, another is, is functional, right? Which is to say, well, if I take this stance, what political work is being done by that? And, and the left, I, I find very often focuses so much on the work being done by taking a particular stance that it is almost loath to admit something that's true if the work being done doesn't necessarily look great, 
right? Yeah. And, and so the reason I brought up the the whole Russia stuff is that like I more than anyone hate Hillary Clinton and the <laughs> kind of, no seriously like like the the neoliberals and the Hillary Clinton acolytes that were pissed that that she lost to Trump and wanted the the whole RussiaGate stuff to vindicate vindicate Hillary Clinton. Nobody hated those supporters and that like so if if making trump uh you know indicting trump on his corruption with russia is going to vindicate hillary supporters that that work being done would would upset me right because hillary lost uh for very many good reasons and um and she sucks neoliberalism sucks and so forth and if and I get how much you would not want to side with those those people, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Right? Uh, however, just because and this is another thing that we'll get to, just because it is true that the U.S. has fucked with other elections around the world, just because, right? Like the U.S. has also done bad things, does not mean it's not also bad when an, a foreign country like Russia fucks with our elections. Like that's not good, folks. Folks, no. bad. Right? Our president may be, you know, perhaps being influenced and in bed with or under pressure from or somehow uh, trying to communicate with and, and, and work with a foreign government to, to influence American society and politics. That's fucking bad, no matter who is on what side. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and that's the reason I connected that to, to the January 6th thing, because like, I understand fully the idea that, uh, liberals, who hate Trump uh, and get so exercised about January 6th might be totally blind to the ills of neoliberalism and might think that Biden is the best president of all time. I think they're morons and, and we need to we need to radicalize them and whatever. But that doesn't mean that that vindicates Trump and that vindicates, you know, January 6th as being not that big a deal. Like we don't so this is the, the John Stuart Mill quote that I wanted to bring into yeah. this, right? So, so John Stuart Mill wrote, in an intellectual debate, both sides tend to be correct in what they affirm, but incorrect in what they deny. And that's because people tend to want to just highlight the thing they want to highlight that might well be true, but they think in a debate that they can't then allow a different point to be made. Uh, and yet, often the case is that different perspectives have partial truths that have to be integrated. And so I think that that applies here. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So let's move to the, the Robin piece. Um, and so it's in Politico, great publication. Love, love it. Love everything about it. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> in the magazine, uh, the title is Republicans are moving rapidly to cement minority rule. Blame the constitution. Democracy, here's the subhead, democracy is in trouble, but a lawless coup isn't the real threat. Um, so, yeah, so he has this neat line about uh, wokeness and fascism. We're, we're, yeah, he says, yeah. well, quote, well, scholars warn of fascism on one side and pundits bicker over wokeness on the other. The larger and longer view reveals how blinkered both of these assessments are. The right's road to power does not run through street violence, mass rallies, fake news, or lawless coup. The left's weakness has nothing to do with critical race theory and cancel culture. Both claims suffer from the same shortcoming. They focus on the margins rather than the matrix. Um, 
Driving the initiatives of the Republicans and the inertia of the Democrats are two forces. The first is the rights project, decades in the making, to legally limit the scope and reach of democracy. The second is the Constitution, which makes it difficult for the national majority to act and easy for the local minorities to rule. What happened on January 6th is far less significant than what happened before January 6th and what has and has not happened since then. (laughs) And that strikes me as like... This is like a like if Brett Stevens were were like the like somehow sort of uh like pureed and translated into a fucking like lefty type of ideological frame. I mean, this is both sidesing the like I yes. like the people on the you know uh, uh Joker's clowns to the left of me, Joker's to the right. Here I am, <laughs> Here, stuck, in the, stuck middle in the middle with you. The, with you, we I put that in. we have to insert. That. I am the only one. The only one who can sort through the competing claims of the crazies on both sides and tell you what the straight dope is that the there's no false equivalency going on there yeah. at all, folks. No, fa- you know what? Being being upset about wokeness and thinking that critical race theory is is infecting our primary schools and our kindergartners just the same as being worried about attacking the Capitol and calling it. That's just the same. The yeah, that's, that's the it's it's comparable to the sitting president attempting. <laughs> to seize power by force and only failing because yep. he's too fucking stupid to pull it off correctly. <laughs> and so, like, oh, I, I mean, I will give Corey... And, and this piece this piece proceeds to make very excellent yes, points yes. about how fascist, frankly, uh, the, the Republicans and the reactionary right has been over the last 50 years or whatever, right? So that's all true. That's all good. Right. That's that. I mean, they've done it through legal mechanisms, the Constitution is, is helped in this. All these sites of, of power have been employed and deployed against democracy. That's all true. What the fuck does that have to do with the attack on the Capitol riot? I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, that, like, as, yeah, as I was just going to say, he's not wrong to point out all of these factors which enabled what happened on January 6th and how the, like, the anti, uh, majoritarian designs of the Constitution, the Electoral College that allowed Trump to take power despite losing the popular vote, uh, the Senate, um, you know, the 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 way that uh, you know a, a single member districts like allow basically a far right sort of entryist faction in the Republican Party to sort of take uh, control of it. All that Section Five of the Voting Rights Act, you know, yeah, right. The the um. The Supreme Court, fucking dog shit yep. institution. The the, of course. the the fortress of reaction for almost all of American history. Uh, but what I don't understand, like I get that that he's totally correct to say that Trump is not sui generis and Trumpism is not this out of nowhere, out of a vacuum, a historical danger that is unique. Of course, the danger of Trump and Trumpism fits the history of the reactionary right and, and is different yet similar in, in interesting ways and so forth. And the extrajudicial dangers and the street violence and, and the faux populism giving rise to the thuggery and the insurrection, that also is complemented by institutional violence and, and legalized harm. But I have no idea why that means we shouldn't care about the extrajudicial and and faux populist violence as well. Like I, yeah. that's the part that I don't understand. Well, and the thing about the like like 
you're saying, okay, all this just organically emerged from the Constitution, and so you're being a hysterical lib, the implication being, if you are quite worried about a lynch mob storming the Capitol building and trying to murder Democratic legislators. Uh, why did that never happen in the previous 250 years of the country existing? Even when the Civil War happened, they didn't think they didn't say, well, we really won the election. We're going to try to storm the Capitol and like prevent Lincoln from being seated as president. They just seceded right. from the country. Um, yep. You know, that like. I would say like Osita Wanevu, who's a friend of the pod who's been on, who uh, had a similar, but I think much more nuanced and uh, frankly reasonable argument in the New York Times. Uh, we'll link to we'll link to both of these, of course, saying that it's both. Obviously, it's both. the The Constitution laid the groundwork for all this shit and the history of the conservative movement in the United States as well. But also That's right. the fact That's that right. they drove themselves up to this crazy frenzy of passion and insanity. To you know what, Corey Robin? You know what? I love you. First of all, God bless you. But you know what, Corey Robin? What you are saying about institutionalized harms is the political theory equivalent of just vote. Because all you're saying is focus on the normalized, institutionalized issues as sites of struggle and sites of problems. And you're ignoring, uh, in the same way that we should care about non-electoral politics that are emancipatory and liberatory, right? We should be concerned with non-electoral uh, proud boys fucking beating people up because they're black. And we should be concerned with Kyle Rittenhouse and we should be concerned with non-electoral, uh, you know, representations of the fascist in, in, in certain people's hearts and the fascist spirit that is then kind of represented in office by people like Trump. Right wing right? media. Like, yeah, and in media and propagated through media. Absolutely. Like whether it's media, whether whether I mean, this is the corollary to mutual aid. This is the corollary to Black Lives Matter, right? There is a fascist right wing version and, and counter opposition, both electorally and institutionally, and in the seats of power and in all the other forms of politics and, and society. So what the fuck is the deal with ignoring that? I don't understand. Like, like Corey Robin, I'm sure would love promoting the leftist affirmative aspects of, of politics, right? Yeah. Like he wouldn't just be like, just, just go vote. He wouldn't say, you know, you shouldn't do mutual aid. He probably wouldn't say like, fuck, you know, all your local organizing and all that shit because it's not institutionalized. So why not pay attention to to the reactionary elements that are also non-electoral and institutionalized? It's funny to imagine uh, like a conservative take like this in, say, like the late 1950s about Jim Crow, you know, saying like, well, look, you have this civil rights movement. They're doing all this bus boycott stuff and whatnot. But look. We have an iron grip on the formal and institutional mechanisms of <laughs> politics. There's really nothing to worry about. Uh, it's illegal Perfect. for black people to vote. And so they're like, all this shit is just, yep. uh, you know, uh, what? it's it's smoke. Uh, it's, uh, damn it. Corey Robin will never be our friend again after this. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But, you know, that ship may have sailed. But I, you know, it's okay. We got the one episode with him. We got the one episode with him on on Clarence Thomas. It was good. Yeah, it was. Good it was. We'll link to it. We'll link to it. It was. It's great. Um, and so yeah, the the uh, 
I recommend you know reading the uh, the uh, the Osita piece and yeah, just I mean th- thinking about the both both of the the things you know you have a shitty uh, anachronistic constitution that was outdated a hundred years ago, and you have uh, a major party which within living memory was at least semi-reasonable. I mean, at least prior to the 2000 election, behaved like a European center-right party. Uh, I mean, a pretty conservative one, but not one that was totally delusional and insane. Now you, know you this have... Is, Ryan? Th- th- this is like, Corey Robin is like looking at the coronavirus. By the way, the coronavirus is the reactionary right. Okay. Uh, and he's looking at it and he's like, I don't know why you guys are focused on the Omicron variant. Really, really the problem is the Delta variant. And, and I just don't understand why you think that, you know what? The Omicron, it's still the coronavirus. Okay. Don't you know the history? Don't you know that before Omicron came Delta? And, and, and then like you can highlight the differences between the different, you know, one's more tr- transmissible, one's more lethal, whatever. And it's like, yeah, fine. But. Why are you ignoring the dangers of all the, the viruses? <laughs> like, why, why don't we just focus on what it is we're, we need to do at the different sites of struggle, uh, rather than diminish and equivocate with like a wokeness? I mean, that's the thing, right? To call, uh, concern over the capital putsch equivalent to the wokeness concerns of the reactionary right. That's that's the problem, right? Because you're, now you're just downplaying something that actually is a problem and has a form that is distinct that we need to understand. Yeah. Anyway, the I mean, the wokeness thing is part of their ongoing mobilization against democracy. Right now, that's Republican right. legislatures are doing literal book bannings in like public school classrooms and universities, saying that you're not allowed to, you know, uh, read Toni Morrison in high school anymore because of. You know, it makes it makes our our little jimmies and crystals. It makes it gives them a sad to think about how there used to be slaves in this country, and so we all need to be reading, you know, sort of yeah. Hitler youth books about how the you know you know what, Corey Robin, the wokeness stuff that's fascist, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the critiques of wokeness, fascist. The bills in North Carolina, fascist. Okay, how do you like them apples? <laughs> yeah, um, the uh, the apples taste great. But it, but this is a good, um, I think, a pivot to like let's let's criticize liberals some more now. Um, the no no that's the thing because you can do both. Yeah, you can you can criticize the right and the left at the same time. And there's this great piece by Justin Feldman. I don't know if this is where you wanted to go, but I want to, but I want to bracket that one. Not, not a, not the pandemic yet. The, uh, but, but the liberal response to January 6th, specifically the institutional, the fucking Biden administration and attorney general Merrick Garland. Oh yeah. Garland. Um, Yeah. 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 You know, uh, uh, Biden gave a speech today saying like, basically, I mean, he seemed pretty head up, you know, as much as he can. I mean, he's 900,000 years old. Um, uh, but, you know, he was saying the right things. And uh, Garland gave a speech yesterday in which he said the right things. Basically, that like, we're going to enforce the law against everyone who, you know, the, all the perpetrators of January 6th. I don't fucking believe him. And the reason is <laughs> uh, all the people who have been prosecuted so far for January 6th, uh, have none of them, not a single one has been uh, prosecuted for insurrection 
or a seditious conspiracy. That would be the two serious charges that you could bring against these people, particularly insurrection, which forbids you from holding federal office, if I'm not mistaken. This is 18 U.S. Code uh, Section 2383 to 4. I believe it dates to the Civil War. I'm not certain about that. But uh there's this reluctance. Yeah. So they're 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 getting all the, the clowns, you know, the the Q shaman, the lunatics, you know, the these these influencers and boat dealership owners and stuff who, you know, that guy who put his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. But the easy the easy marks who can't put up a Absolutely. Fight. And they and they are getting uh basically slaps on the wrist for the most part. Um, only half of them have gotten prison time. Uh, I mean, I don't even really care about that stuff so much. You know, I mean, I think that's like no. symbolic was the importance for the most part. But what is really telling is that none of the orchestrators of it at the top are getting prosecuted. And there's no sign that they're going to be prosecuted. <clears throat> Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, all these people were almost certainly involved in the planning of January 6th in some way. Um, The Constitution, Ryan, says they at least should be booted from office. Yeah, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says that if you commit insurrection against the United States government, you cannot serve in Congress or any other federal office or the military and uh, unless Congress votes by a two-thirds margin to uh, remove that disability. and the, uh, Steve Bannon, Rudy Giuliani, like like dozens of people, and above all, Donald Trump himself. That would have been, I would say, a serious response to January 6th would have been the moment Biden took office, filing charges against Donald Trump for insurrection against the United States on like January 21st. Because like, you know, they, they're, they're, there's all these stories about how, oh, it's difficult evidence, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. It all fucking happened on television. It was right there. It's and Twitter. very obvious. And um, the fact that they haven't done it's been a year. They haven't done it. And honestly, like, it's impossible for me well, to like, imagine them doing it. I mean, this, this, this reminds us of, of Obama being like, yeah, I guess we could go after, you know, the Bush administration for war crimes, but bygones. Let's just, you know, let's heal and move on, right? Yeah, and there's, a, you know, I mean, you have these people who are, they're chicken shits, honestly, is the is the word for them, you know? The Garland pro- prosecuted Timothy McVeigh, but that was 25 years ago, something like that. And, uh, you know, they... Like prosecuting a former president, it seems like in the Beltway sort of establishment, that's like disgusting third world country behavior. You know, it's just not good manners. Yeah. And um, we can talk about Rousseau at some point, but I want to read from your piece uh, because it was great on this because you tie this to the the concept of American exceptionalism and you wrote here. Yeah. Lots of countries are unjustly proud of their constitutions or political systems, but the real American exceptionalism is this. In no other country is there such a yawning abyss between the pompous self-satisfaction of the political culture and the grubby reality of the ancient, crumbling, jerry-rigged political institutions. <laughs> Great writing, sir. Great writing. Uh, and so, 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 you know, so you write that, you know, Garland's refusal to prosecute somebody, uh, one of these actual elites, 
uh, has to do with, with that American exceptionalism. Uh, and you say that you write that he's so hypnotized by illusions of American greatness, he can't believe what's happening right under his nose. The blow to American pride would be too strong and what it would reveal about America's fallen state too traumatizing. Better to just keep playing make-believe until it's too late. Boy, don't we live in a land of make-believe. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I um, – you know, there there's all these ways. You know, I, 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 I quoted Barack Obama's speech in 2004 where he's talking about, uh, you know, in no other country is my story even possible uh, in, the, in that uh, DNC convention keynote address. As if, like, no other country has ever had a child of one immigrant, not even two immigrants, make it to the legislature. And I was just looking it up. I just uh, I just picked one country at random, like another Democratic country. Germany, do they have some immigrants in the legislature? By God, they got a guy who is not just from, he's not just born from immigrants, literally from Senegal, elected to the Bundestag. And it's like 13% uh, immigrants and descendant of immigrants. So shut the fuck up, Obama, and stop uh, stop boasting about something where the um, United States is completely ordinary. We're not the land of, I mean, you know, I mean, it would be worse to have like a all white legislature where like categories of people are not allowed to serve. But like, you know, we are exceptional in masking our oligarchy and masking our corruption in the very name of beautiful democracy and uh, equality and freedom. Right. So, so we, we are the country where, where freedom is, you know, anti-public health and, and, and mass death. And uh, you know, we are the country that proudly lets, uh, you know, George W. Bush and his administration off the hook for war crimes. We are the country who, you know, thinks that patriotism is to to bomb brown countries and uh, and, and to jail people who kneel and protest. Yeah. Uh, so in this one uh, one final point on this, um, I think it's really kind of underrated the extent to which Garland and Biden are to blame for how. Trump has been rehabilitated both in the Republican Party and amongst the uh, corporate establishment. You know, after yeah. January 6th, you had all of these like sort of freaked out uh, corporate statements from, uh, you know, fucking like Nike or whatever. I mean, a lot of big companies saying we're not going to donate to people who undermine democracy. Yeah. And uh you know, they they cut off their their donations to people who like voted to overturn the election, um, and you know the, the, a fair number of Republicans uh, said you know sort of broke with Trump for, for like an hour, you know, and uh, you know there there was a sense there for for maybe a day that <laughs> this might be the moment in which like like Trump is finally sort of like disgraced and um the fact that he didn't get put down i think explains a lot of why people didn't uh uh they eventually turned around so now you know like trump is firmly in control of the republican party and uh all of these companies have returned to donating to all of the politicians who voted to overturn the election and you think well, yeah, they're corporate cowards, blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, of course they were. They they were when they uh, they said they weren't going to donate. They assumed that Trump was going to get got, 
and that this was staying ahead of the of the uh you know the opinion of the government the uh, and the law and um public opinion and so that it was a sort of riskless thing to do i mean this is this is how corporations behave if someone's like a fucking war criminal you know who's in the docks at nuremberg they're not going to give them money but if someone's a war criminal who's in charge of one of two political parties in the united states and the current incumbent party running the government shows no sign whatsoever of enforcing the law and is j- apparently just going to sit down in front of the steamroller and let themselves be crushed and you know allow trump to win again what kind of a company is going to be like well i'm going to put myself out on a limb against a notoriously vindictive and petty piece of shit who's going to be president again soon, very likely and like lose my business and all of, you know, everything I've worked to achieve. Why is that my job? You know, no, I'm going to buy him off. Fuck off. (laughs) Which by the way, you know, when, when Twitter booted Trump, it was well after they knew he would be gone. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so those that, that think that like Twitter is the most dangerous thing in the world, no, like the state is more dangerous and, <laughs> and Twitter is worried about who's in power at, at, you know, in the state and so forth. And so, I don't know. I, I think sometimes we, we could get overblown in our worry about, as Trump would say, big tech. Uh, it's capitalism that's the problem, and that has to do with the state yeah. and their, their relationship and that dynamic. But Absolutely. Uh, you know, and if, if, if Trump and all of the, you know, the top organizers of January 6th were in a prison cell right now, uh, those companies will not be donating to the, the, you know, I mean, not certainly not to Trump and not to the, you know, his top allies in Congress, you know, they, they would like, it's a question of sort of reformulating the political establishment. And if you're like the, if you're the, for the moment incumbent party who is just, uh, faced with a insurrectionary opposition and you're not even going to try to like enforce the law against them. The logical move is, well, get on the side of the most extreme nutcases because they're going to be in charge sooner or later. And when they do, they probably aren't ever coming out again until they die or there's some kind of a, you know, rupture in the system. Well, look, you know, this is something I think that's worth talking about. Um, the state is under capitalism, a capitalist state, and the elites, the oligarchs, do not like to go after each other. There are exceptions, right? That you know, just the same way that there are class traders like FDR who were exceptions. Um, you know, we, we, you've talked about uh, the the AG, the Attorney General under Grant, going after the KKK, right? Like, Amos T. Ackman. Like, yeah, Amos T. Ackerman. There are great there are great exceptions where like the state can be used to go after white supremacy, uh, all kinds of good things. And we need to struggle and fight for the state to be used for freedom and emancipation, you know, in the same way that we need the state to to be on the side of labor and unions and so forth. Um but on the whole, under capitalism, right? you can expect that most power struggles will result in the law being applied uh, less frequently to those in power and to criminalize and come. So there's, it's not for no reason 
that poor people, people of color, are disproportionately criminalized and incarcerated without even having a trial, right? It's plea bargain stuff. It's like, you yeah. don't have money, so we're going to just force you uh, into the system and you're going to be caged. It doesn't even matter if you did anything. It's just a power play. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, whether it's Nixon's um, you know, proclamation that, you know, a president can't break the law, right? I am the law kind of thing. <laughs> Two, simply the enforcement mechanism not going after any of these elites, former presidents, former administrative people. Effectively, the more wealth and power you have and political prominence you have, the less likely you are to to be um, actually held accountable by the state, right? For obvious reasons. But like, that's something we need to fight against. Um, yeah. As much as we fight against the criminalization and incarceration of people who are poor uh, or non-white, right? Like, we also need to be against the permissive attitude of the state towards the rich and powerful. Um, and that's just what the function of our politics should be to call attention to that and to do what we can to, to say how dangerous it is because the Josh Hawley's, the Ted Cruz's can follow in the footsteps of Donald Trump and uh, not just getting away with things themselves, but in exacerbating the uh, cancer in the body politic that is the kind of fascist spirit uh, of Trumpism. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that uh, the, import the, the important thing is going after the ringleaders, you know, like, uh all of these foot soldiers you know like like they if if you're running like a legit prosecution investigation thing here those guys would be important if insofar as you can get them to roll on the higher ups you know and sort of like move your your prosecution through but like the important thing is getting trump if yep, if right. you just if you forgot about every single person who actually stepped foot in the Capitol and just put Trump away, absolutely, that would be absolutely. a far. Well, you know why it's it's cutting the the, the head of the snake. Absolutely, off, right? yeah. You know, so that is the lesson I think that should be applied to January sixth and to Trump and to to these facilitators who still have power, like Ted Cruz and Hawley and and uh, you know all the other kind of QAnon crazies in in the House and so forth. Yeah. Um, but the compliments to their, uh, faux populist authoritarian craziness is the Biden administration and the neoliberalism that has only gotten worse in its response to the pandemic. And in addition to the liberal, uh, inability to hold accountable the reactionary right for January 6th is the liberal response to collective needs and to, to, you know, disproportionate, uh, well, to, to the reality of society. I mean, I don't know about you, Ryan, but like the Biden administration seems to me to be like Margaret Thatcher of late. Uh, there is no society, right? There, there, there are just families and individuals. Yeah. And, and, th and this attitude is always problematic, but it's especially problematic when there's a contagious fucking disease. <laughs> <laughs> that actually really requires that people and institutions think of themselves as interconnected. Yeah. I mean, back in March of last year, they, you know, they, they passed the American rescue plan, massive uh, stimulus um, to 
deal with the pandemic. And it seemed like, you know, they had a glide path from there. You got your economic thing that will sort of like put the economy on a good footing to sort of return to normal from before the pandemic. Uh, and you had the vaccines. The vaccines will protect people against the, you know, you just got to get them out there. Then we had Delta variant. Then we had Omicron. And they just didn't update anything. <laughs> you know, that like they've just been caught flat-footed uh, each time and and sort of like just they're just sort of trying to sort of uh let it rip basically uh without passing any new policies or or uh, uh sort of changing their approach and you know sort of hoping like each time it's like okay the delta delta's sort of like fucking us up uh, what now? Uh, uh, I guess we can extend the student loan thing for a few months. Uh, uh, maybe we can do a uh, workplace sick leave and uh, vaccine mandate. You know, like what was that? Like seven months after Biden took office or something like that. And they right, but re- restricted to health workers though, right? Yeah. Well, it was for employers over over a hundred employees, right? And then it just immediately got caught up in court. I think the Supreme Court is going to hear uh, arguments on it tomorrow. T- tomorrow, yeah, yeah, on the seventh. And it's just, it's just like you you can't fucking. I this is a, a piece I wrote uh, today about. Schools like the schools are closing again because the teachers are so there's so many teachers who got Omicron that they they literally can't keep them open, don't have enough. And, um, you know, a year ago, it was pretty obvious that, um, you know, ventilation could be a, a really strong protector against the pandemic. And uh, they had like 120 billion dollars in the American Rescue Plan to going to school specifically. But they really didn't do anything to make sure that was spent or even any of it was spent on uh, ventilation, you know, and it, and especially given that, like, there are so many schools in this country are built in like the 40s, and, like their windows don't even open um, and they have no HVAC, you know, system at all. No uh, HEPA filters. And it was yeah. just, you know, it was there. It was like, well, we could just do this massive spending thing once. And then, like shit'll just clear itself out, and they're no, it's a total abdication of responsibility. And and you know what's really frustrating? It's like I thought you neoliberals like to be fucking technocrats. Well, like an emergency like this, it should be perfect for technocrats. Yeah. This should be perfect for like the policy wonks, right? Like this is the kind of shit that you supposedly are all about, and yet they just said time after time after time, you know what? Nah, we'll yeah. just change our messaging. We'll just change our messaging and and tell stu- and tell students. Look at me, I'm in professor mode. Tell people that uh, it's just your choice, and if you get a vac- vaccinated, then you're safe. Uh, if you don't, you know, if you die, it's on you. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so this is the pa- the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, everyone else, you're fine, which is a lie. And j- just you know, all of the different fr- from regulatory fixes to trying to work with Congress. Uh, There are so many ways that, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives could, could have been spared, let alone 
the the ableist fucking approach, which doesn't care about the immunocompromised, about right the disabled, about yeah. long COVID, about children who can't be vaccinated, about pregnant women. I mean, about low income people, people without insurance. You know, it, it is just remarkable how uh, just just how callous the response of the Biden administration has been to the, to the reality of the pandemic and all its, you know, its variants and, and it's callous and um, short-sighted, you know, that like from what I've seen, even in Delta or Omicron, like vaccination cuts your risk of, of, uh, of like, like two doses of vaccine cuts your risk of, of dying of COVID by like 90 to 99%, depending on your sort of category of person, you know, immunosuppressed and and whatnot um but the fact that that's like so you're gonna you're gonna put all your chips on vaccine like that was pretty clearly their their strategy from the start and yet they didn't anticipate that there would be a big contingent of people who would not do it uh for one reason or another you know like and that's bullshit right you don't think with with what we saw with Trump that you couldn't anticipate that people wouldn't get yeah, vaccinated that's fucking really ridiculous. dumb you know just i mean just like like uh you know that like Tucker Carlson isn't going to do the shittiest possible thing he can do yeah i don't even think it's dumb i think it's callous i think it's like a bunch of people are going to die and our political response will be they deserved it yeah right and and we're going to pretend that like kids that can't get vaccinated don't exist. And we're going to pretend that people that can't get vaccinated or aren't vaccinated or aren't protected enough through vaccination because of being immunocompromised or old or whatever, uh, that they don't really exist either. Because yeah. basically most people are fine. You know what I mean? That's the language, right? We're, except we have a country of 330, however many million people, right? No, I, <laughs> and so, like, I think that's right. I mean, I think it was a combination of the, the callousness, as you say, like the vaccines they they allowed it to be slotted the pandemic to be slotted into this the normal american frame of it's your fault like you didn't yeah, get the vaccine right. you died it's your fault i mean even if it, there there were like some people who did get the vaccine I mean, and died ne- but- neoliberalism is love ne- what neoliberal neoliberalism loves is to abdicate responsibility to prevent a social harm and then individualize the responsibility for suffering that harm. Yep. Yep. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And it, I think in an almost sort of semi-conscious fashion, the, that, that just sort of like took root where it was like, well, we don't have to do anything. If people die, it's because they fucked up. And so it's not our fault. Um, but I think where the stupidity comes in is that like, Actually, you are going to be blamed for that, even in a sort of indirect fashion. And you should sure. have anticipated, even if you're even if you're putting all your chips on vaccine, have a strict fucking mandate, especially a strict. But also, yeah, it's also infectious, yeah. though. So like all the people. So so what you have is it's true. A bunch of assholes who won't get vaccinated, but then people who can't fa- get vaccinated because they're children or immunocompromised or whatever or poor or don't have insurance or or whatever it is. But then everyone who does everything right being very frustrated because it's a lie that they're fine, yeah. right? Because they're in a society with other people, right? And new variants arise, and like it actually matters how many cases there are, and like it's not an individual shield that we all just are individually protected if we individually do something. Like we actually have to think this through together collectively. 
And so it's just the neoliberal lie is resulting in all this pain, suffering, and frustration, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the thing, you know, the the uh, what I what I will give um, a slight bit of credit to. I mean, I guess cut Biden a little bit of slack is that you know you you see this uh, wretched situation in the United States. There are a lot of things that are, you know, to a lot of bad choices to blame for it. But you look at like all the Western European social democracies, even the Nordics are just getting absolutely rinsed by Omicron. Um, in fact, the uh, you know the rate in in France, the UK, Ireland, um, uh, uh, Italy, Greece, uh, Portugal—it's higher, often much higher. Uh, than at least you know in terms of uh, recorded cases than in the United States. Uh, it's just it's so fucking contagious. But I think the the difference is you know that like you have a a, a, a social protective system that's allowing that like that sort of basically like in a realistic context sort of uncontainable wave of infection to roll through in a. Uh, you know, like a graduated fashion where like the like the people who need protection uh, the most do get some protection rather than just sort of like throwing up your hands and being, you know, saying like, fuck it, like uh, whoever dies, dies. It's not my problem. Um, and especially, you know, Spain and Portugal, they went hard on vaccines um, and they got up to, I think, almost 90 percent. Uh, fully vaccinated, and so they're having a a fuckload of cases, but very like very few hospitalizations and almost no deaths because they're so protected. You know, like Omicron's so contagious, like it's it's sort of busting through that uh, immunity wall, but it's not killing very many people at all. And um, you know, that's where we could have been if Biden had seen what was obviously going to happen namely that if you don't force people to get the vaccine then they're like uh, you know 30% of them aren't going to do it and so you're going to be just vulnerable to this thing and you're going to get wave after wave of infection that's going to fuck the country up and you're going to be blamed for it you know whether or not you think ideologically in your own head that it's not your fault it's going to make things horrible. And when conditions are bad, people blame the president, basically. And in this case, with some justice, you know, you could have done vaccine mandates along with the Trump prosecution in uh, January 21st, uh, 2021. You could have uh, done vaccine mandates for flights. I think that would be the single most effective thing that they could do now. But they're still fucking dithering well, about obvious. it. Yeah, it's it's an obvious thing with clear jurisdiction, clear authority. Like, uh, oh, no. Yeah. What if I have to do a thing to get on the plane? What if I have to take my shoes off? What if I can't take certain items on the plane? What if I have to fulfill <laughs> categories to take a flight because of safety reasons? Oh, gee, what a precedent that would break. Like, come on. Well, that but but that's the thing. There's no political or ideological fight going on amongst Biden or the Democrats uh, nope. on the question of whether the government has a role to play in saving people's lives and in 
I mean, th- there's a fundamental question of is freedom doing whatever you want? No, it's not because then murder would be a pro- would be a restriction against freedom, yeah. right? Like a murder, like no, 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 like not letting people kill people. That's actually not a restriction of your freedom. Yeah. That's actually good. You should it's, be it's able to kill serves- anyone you want. No, no. So, so like fundamentally, ideologically, there needs to be a fight. Like. No, no, these are protections. These are things that help people. These serve the common good. If you think that this is tyrannical, you're a fucking idiot. You yeah. don't understand the nature of freedom and the good. Um, but, but because neoliberalism thinks that, you know, the, 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 the invisible hand and quote unquote the reified economy, uh, are the exemplars of what the good is. Uh, well, that's why, you know, we care about fighting the teachers and the unions and, and, and forcing students into schools, even if it's not safe. That's why we, we say, if you die, it's your fault. That's why they don't contest uh, all these different sites of struggle around not just individual behavior, but around like policy and regulatory uh, possibilities for not just, you know, forcing people to get vaccinated, which they could, you know, right. and, and that's great. But also like, you know, providing people, the state can provide people with tests and masks and, and, and inculcate the ability for people to protect themselves and each other. Right. And foster this idea that that's the, the role of the state is to do just that. Like to say, Hey, this is what's safe. This is what's not safe. Not to be like, Oh, I don't know if our economy will survive if people stay out of work for this many days. I guess we should like use our scientific experts to just state uh, like this is the thing. Like, there's no wonder the state isn't isn't respected or or held to be a source of authority in a public health crisis when 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 they act like this, right? Yeah, um, the testing so. thing is especially um, marked because the noble lie again. Right? <clears throat> no, well. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, the story uh, from a number of months ago about Abbott uh, Laboratories, which makes one of the only test sets approved for the FDA back in the summer. Yeah, yeah, they destroyed like millions of dollars, millions of tests worth of precursor and, you know, set up and so forth. And uh, closed down a factory they had and fired two thousand people because they thought. And why? Why did they do that? They thought it would reduce that. They they didn't want the price of the test to go down. Well, they, it was right? it was uh, July, I think, and there are very few cases. They thought pandemic over. Fuck it, They'll just burn it up. It's not our problem. I think it was more cynical. Well, I think they didn't want the cost of 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 the you know the tests they were selling. They didn't want the supply demand curve to be affected by the the overabundance of their tests, and so by destroying them, they they were making artificial scarcity. I think it's it was both. Like, you know, you can't predict what's going to happen exactly. They thought the pandemic was the over. Thing, well, the I mean, the thing is, like, right now they're missing out on like fifty million sales of those rapid tests that they absolutely could have sold. Like like you can't fucking get them in, in Amazon, Walmart, anywhere. They've been out for for weeks and weeks. So that like as far as insofar as that was a business decision, it was stupid. Um, you know, they could have made it up on volume for sure. Um, but one of the one you know, one of the reasons that they didn't, you know, they they didn't have guaranteed orders. You know, in Europe, 
uh, one of their things was like the government regulatory response was basically like, here's guaranteed profits for, in fact, including that exact company saying that like, if you deliver this many tests, we will buy them at this price. And so all you had to do was produce the tests. And like you didn't have to try to predict what was going to happen with the with the and so the tests were cheaper, but you sold you know fifty million of them to the government of the Netherlands, and uh, you know then they would go on sale at the pharmacy for three euros. Um, and yeah, this is such obvious stuff, dude. Like one hundred and one, our government should be like, hey, even within you know market capitalism, what could we do to ensure that we have capacity? for ventilators, for respirators, for tests? What could we do to make sure that hospital capacity is there? What could we do to make sure that staffing for hospitals is there? What could we do for essential workers to make sure that they're safe and protected and and we have enough of them? I mean, we could have, quote unquote, the economy function, which is to say that people that, you know, take care of sick patients, that people that uh, produce the goods – we could have the government make sure that these people are all safe, well compensated, and are doing the things that are essential, while at the same time having whatever lockdowns or restrictions are necessary to stop the contagion, right? Yeah. In the restaurants, in the bars, and so forth, uh, whether it's paying people to stay at home or like it's not rocket science policy wise. It's just there's no will because the logic of neoliberalism is that's bad, actually. We don't want to do that because then people will realize that the state can direct these things instead of the invisible hand, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's a, there's just a, uh, people are just hope, hoping, sort of, uh, you know, they're at the craps table and they're rolling and they're losing and they're doing double or nothing and they're rolling and losing again and doing double or nothing. And so now they've just put everything on, uh, hope that the Omicron burns through the entire United States population really fast. And that by, uh, you know, February or March thereabouts, um, We'll ha- we'll all have some immunity of some sort or another, and there won't be any more variants that crop up, <laughs> fucking from the fucking like like sure, like sure. three billion infections that have that have happened. To- totally logical. Um, and uh, so you know that might even it all, might even work yeah, out, but it will not. Maybe, it will just be because they, of luck. All they know, all they know is that they're rich donors and, and their buddies, right? They can be ensconced in safety. And uh, and they can keep throwing, uh, you know, immunocompromised poor working class people to their deaths and to their disabilities as much as possible, um, as long as it takes. They think. Yeah. And I think this is where you could tie the January 6th in this, you know, the the Biden administration, which in many ways has been an, uh, uh, a pleasant surprise based on my expectation of how things would go, which would basically could not have been more cynical and pessimistic and the fucking, uh, uh, you know, gr- like the grubber reality of the failures that they have, um, you know, just, just, just committed. And uh, it's just this feckless, you know, the t- timidity and the unwillingness to govern um, and, do something about like like there's just very low energy to use a trump phrase uh you know you like biden you see him in speeches every now and then he looks 
old and exhausted. And his whole administration just kind of like it's 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 reactive rather than proactive. And it's it's like that with the the Trump shit, which they just clearly hope will go away without them having to do anything. And it is with the pandemic that which they hope will go away without them having to do anything. And, you know, it may work out with the pandemic, possibly just because like the science happens to break their way for once. I don't think it's going to go their way with Trump uh, and the Republicans. Um you know, the, the, the circumstances are much less favorable, but you know, like it, I mean, frankly, frankly, Ryan, the Biden administration is just a different variant of the disease that's killing the body politic <laughs> from the Trump administration. That's what I think. I think they're, they're both the same disease, just different variants in the same way that Chomsky said that the, the, the two parties are actually one party and they're just different wings. They need so, each other. Yeah. I think that, you yeah. know, Symbiotic. as a, the, it's like a, a sort of symbiotic cancer on the body politic. You have one aggressive, you know, strand and another one that is sort of like taken over the immune system that would otherwise naturally cure and has killed it so that it's not going to do anything. And that's, you know, you see all these people, Matt, Matt Gates and uh, whatnot, who participated in January 6th and they're emboldened. They got away with it. They think they can do no wrong. Nobody's ever going to call them on this shit, and they're probably right. And so, but here's the thing: because we have to end on a, on a on a bit of hope, Ryan. <laughs> all of you listeners and all of us, you know, the same way that Jeremy Corbyn says, um, "We are many; they are few." We are the antibodies of the body politic. Yeah, we are the antibodies, and we can rise up and and uh, you know take arms against, not literally, but we can take up resistance to um, both pernicious diseases uh, of neoliberalism and, and, and authoritarian fascism. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I think that uh, we have to do so at all the different sites of the body politic, electoral, institutional, and non-electoral, right? We have to change the spirit of the regime to one of compassion and solidarity and, uh, and freedom and emancipation. Uh, and equality and, and fight the, the, uh, you know, the callousness of neoliberalism and, and the, the malice and, and disgusting hatred of fascism. Um, and we can do it because there's more of us than there are of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, it's, it's not a guarantee that, uh, you know, Republicans are going to win the control of the house in 2022. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of ways that that these things might be contested, both within the the democratic uh, the democratic party, um, the general elections, and you know the broader institutional mobilization. The the future the, is ours to shape. The it's labor not movement, especially. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be paying attention to that over the next uh, the next year. We hope everybody had yeah. a. Nice uh, holiday break, and I hope hope you're all safe and healthy. You know, um, I, I don't dare to say Happy New Year, but I hope the New Year is treating you as well as possible, everybody. You're, you know, really a wonderful source uh, of comfort, knowing that that uh, that you're that you're out there and are are seeing the same troubles um, in, in life in the United States as we see and around the world, and, and hopefully uh, there's solidarity amongst all of us. So we appreciate you. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you in the next episode.